Heavenly Father, the multitude is so great, the servant so weak. But Lord, just as manna came from heaven, just as five loaves and two fishes fed thousands, we realize, Lord, that it's not up to the servant. It's up to Thee. Thou knowest, Lord, the needs of Thy children. Thou knowest the need of Thy servant. And now, Lord, as we begin Eastern Camp 2014, we beseech Thee, Father, to be in our midst. We beseech Thee, Father, to touch each soul. We beseech Thee, Father, to fill each servant that will serve in this week regardless, Lord, or whatever their service might be. Lord, we pray that the evil one might be kept at bay. We pray that spiritual sentries might be placed about these campgrounds, that thy spirit might go unhindered. And Lord, we will thank thee for these blessings that we know we shall receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear ones, I must confess that I am very nervous, that I am somewhat anxious, but that's fine, because that means I need to rely even more on the Spirit. Of the teens that are here this year, and I don't know the exact number, but approximately 82% are unconverted. That's a staggering number. That means of our teens that are here, only 18% are ready for the Lord to return. My brother and my sister, we need to be very busy this week. We need to spend much time on our knees in prayer. We need to be interceding on behalf of the hundreds that are here that do not know the Lord. I'd like to read several verses this evening. The first one I'd like to read is our theme verse. We can see it on the banner. It's found in Revelations chapter 22, verse 20. Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's not the whole verse. That's only the end of the verse. Let me please read the entire Verse. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And John added, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Jesus himself, the one who gave the revelation to John, said, Behold, I come quickly. That was a theme verse for camp many, many years ago. If I'm not mistaken, might even have been Webster Springs, Behold, I come quickly. My friend outside of Christ, how does that make you feel? When Jesus Christ, the Son of the Almighty God, who came and died that you might have life, says, Behold, I come quickly. My brother and my sister, 
How does that make you feel? Knowing that he said, behold, I come quickly. You see, as I, as I prepared for this, this sermon, as I, as I pondered on what the Lord might lay upon my heart, I have two burdens. One is for the multitude of unconverted that are here that do not know the Lord, and he is coming soon. And the other is for the believer. Are we ready for him to come? Just before I came up, my brother shared with me that Morley Safer. Now, the young people don't know Morley Safer. The older people do. If I'm not mistaken, he was on 60 Minutes, like when I was a little boy. Now I'm a grandpa. He said, being interviewed by someone on Fox News, these are the most dangerous times that he's ever known. Think about that, dear ones. Think about the world scene. Think about what's happening all around us. And then reflect on Jesus' own words when he said, behold, I come quickly. And some of the verses I'm going to skip through, you don't need to follow with me. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, I thought, you know, it might be good for us to look and see, well, what has he said about when he's going to come based on his word? And in 1 Thessalonians 5, the first six verses... But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. I find that interesting that the Apostle Paul would say that. And he would say it because there are, there are enough, there's enough evidence, there will be enough signs for us to know when his coming is near. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Who will not escape? Everyone will not escape his coming. We can see the signs, the seasons. Jesus said, you know, you can, you can see on the fig tree, you can discern the seasons. There's enough prophecy that tells us what needs to happen before he comes, and it is rapidly falling into place. Now, why hasn't Jesus told us exactly when he's coming? Number one is he doesn't know. Only the Father himself knows. When God has finished his plan, he will say to his son, go now and bring your bride home. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should take you as a thief. For ye are the children of light, and the children of the day we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us be sober. Well, this wasn't preached to the unconverted. This was preached to the church. The Apostle Paul was saying we should not be like those that are asleep. It should not surprise us at all. We should not be unprepared when he comes. Let's be sober. Let's be awake. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I don't know about where you live, but I would imagine if many of us seem to be from, you know, the, the Midwestern area, I'm from the Northeast, but we don't get the lightning storms, at least we never used to, that you folks do in Ohio and maybe up in Canada. 
But how long does it take lightning to go from the east to the west? How long does it take from when you first see that flash till it's finished? That's how fast his return will be. That is how fast it will come. When you see him coming, it's too late. No time to go back. No time to run and ask forgiveness of someone. No time to get on our knees and ask the Lord to save us. It's too late. There will be no escape if we are not prepared for him to come. This is real. This isn't some story. This isn't even earthly life and death. This is eternity that's at stake. You don't get a second chance. You're either ready or you're not. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Listen to this, folks, especially my unconverted friends. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. Let me read that again. I want those verses, I want those words to sink in to all of us, not just my unconverted friends. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What should we be doing? Now this is interesting too. My friend outside of Christ, this scripture was not written to you. Sorry. Well, it was written to you, but not in the condition you're in, not at the state you're in now. This was written to believers looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, my. That's why John could say, even so come, Lord Jesus. John wasn't worried about the elements melting in a fervent heat. John wasn't worried about seeing Christ not as the redeemer, but as the conquering king coming in a a white horse in the clouds. He was looking forward to that day. John, as you'll remember, if you take the time to read the book of Revelation, and not long ago we studied that in our Bible class series, John saw the Lord as the king of kings and Lord of Lords. He knew what was coming. He was so excited he couldn't wait. And after Jesus said to him at the end of the book, behold, I come quickly, his words were even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, my friend to my brother and my, my, my words to my brothers and my sisters here, can we say that? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Once when I was a young, young convert, I don't know, maybe I was 18 years old, 
And someone said to me, the best way to know if you're ready for the Lord's return is if when you get on your knees at night, you can say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That means your house is in order. There was an old gospel singer who went to meet his reward. And I remember the last time, and I, I, I saw it on a video, and I've heard it on a recording, and he, with a halting voice, after singing Supper Time, pauses before the final chorus and turns to a young lady that was standing next to him and says, you know, Sonia, I got my bags all packed and I'm ready to go. My brother, my sister, do we have our bags all packed? Are we ready to go? Is there anything that's holding us back? That question each one of us must ask. Wherein, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. Oh, and you know, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I will. This week, just this week, the ministers have so much material. Just last week. Who would have thought that the Israelis would invade Gaza? Think about that. Who would have thought that a civilian airliner would be shot down by Putin's lieutenants? How many of you watched the Olympics? Winter Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. How many of you watched it? How many of you saw Vladimir Putin sitting there watching as his hockey team lost? You know what it reminded me of? Berlin, 1936, and Hitler watching. Now, I'm not a political scientist, and I don't know Vladimir Putin as well as his other friends do, or his friends do, but it sure looks to me like he's sitting in the Kremlin building an empire. The scriptures say, the prophecies say, the bear shall come from the north. Just saying. Look in the news. Wherefore, beloved brother, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Are we, are we focused on that? Matthew 25. We know this scripture well. <clears throat> the parable of the ten virgins. Thank you, Robert. My apologies. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their lamp and their vessels with their lamps. Verse 5 concerns me. I have it starred with an asterisk and underlined in blue. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. 
But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather unto them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with them into the, with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. A camp theme from some years ago. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Are we watching? Are we watching? My brother, my sister, are you watching? Are you looking unto the hills from whence cometh your help? Or are you focused on things of this earth? We need to shed the things of this earth. We need to purge ourselves from the things that are slowing us down, the things that hamper our walk, the things that distract us from the things that are really important on this earth. And the things that are really important on this earth are things of the kingdom. We are children of the Most High. The year was 1911. Two explorers determined to race to the South Pole. I've made some notes so I don't misquote. One was a Norwegian, and his name was Rald Amundsen. The other was Captain Scott from the Royal Navy of Great Britain. They both prepared for the race to the South Pole. The Norwegian, Rald, he decided that he would, he would look to those that had experience in such places. So he studied the habits and the characteristics of the Arctic Eskimos. He researched very carefully how the journey should be made. What tools should he use? What had, what had come through as tried and true that would surely work? And the advisor said to him, you must use dog sleds. And you need X number of dog sleds. And you need to carefully plan your course. And he did that. For He charted a, a, a beautiful course for his team. He made sure that there were way stations along the way once they got to Antarctica. Where they could refuel, where before the expedition would start, he would make sure there was enough supplies there. And on October 19th, 1911, he and his crew of five in the dog sleds left to head to the pole. Captain Scott of His Majesty's Navy had a better idea. Oh, we don't need to use dog sleds. This is the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. We're going to use motorized sledges, the precursor to snowmobiles. And certainly the way to do it is not having sleds pulled by dogs. Let's take ponies with us. Certainly ponies will be much better. We can, we can put more on them. 
We can, we can laden them down with enough supplies. We don't need to stage things as we go. Why, that's a waste. We don't need to start as early. And so on November 1st, 1911, he starts out. Five days into Scott's journey, the engines died on the sledges. A few days after that, the ponies had to be put down because of the frigid temperatures. So his team began dragging 200-pound sledges toward the South Pole. On December 14, 1911, Roald Amundsen and his team of five reach the South Pole. Entire team didn't lose anyone, and he planted the Norwegian flag. On January 17th, after traveling 800 miles and with half of his team already perished, Captain Scott of His Majesty's Royal Navy arrives at the South Pole to see a Norwegian flag flying. These were his words. Great God, this is an awful place. they turned, I believe there were three left, to return home. A few days after that, one of his comrades, who was another decorated military man, suffering from frostbite so bad, realizes he can't continue, and fearing that he would delay the entire team, says, I need to take a walk. And he walked off into a blizzard never to be found again. Some days after that, the rest of the team perished, never making it back to their home base. The only reason we know the story is because the rescuers that came found the diaries that these men had left in their last days. One took a path that was planned, took a path that was true, Took, a, took listen to those that had made the journey successfully, oh, not to the South Pole, but to the North. The other decided that he was smarter than other people, that there had to be an easier way. There had to be an easier, faster way because times have changed. Certainly we don't use dog sleds anymore. Certainly we will use motorized sledges. Certainly, dogs can't carry as much as ponies. The Norwegian made sure that he had enough dogs that his dogs could rest. He made it back because he followed a known way and a known path. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where there is a good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls.
My friend outside of Christ, don't look for a new way. Don't look for a shortcut. The path to heaven is not easy. Neither was the path to the cross. There's no shortcut at all. Jeremiah said to the people of God, seek the old paths. Seek the old ways and ye shall find rest for your souls. But I didn't read the whole verse. But they said, we will not walk therein. How foolish to know that there is a way that is true, to know that there is a path that is true, to know that the method is foolproof, and then in some way to think you can adulterate it and get there easier, to think there's another way to the courts of glory than through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's foolishness. There is no other way. And he is coming. And he's coming soon. My brother, my sister, are you looking for a shortcut? Are you looking for an easier way? There is no such thing as Christianity light. It doesn't lead to glory. It leads to damnation. Look at the scriptures, my brother and my sister. It's not an easy road. It's one that takes purpose. It's one that takes sanctification. It's one that takes sacrifice. And that's not because our Father wants to be cruel to us and wants us to somehow work our way there. It's so that we can truly understand where peace comes from. Because you see, when you walk that road that our Savior walked, you walk right into the presence of the Father on this earth. You understand why you can't harbor sin in your life because it separates you from God. You understand that the things of this earth do nothing but draw us away from God. They don't bring us closer. Look what happened to the children of Israel. When they mingled with the nations around them, they perished. They perished. But when they lived sanctified lives dedicated to Jehovah when they separated themselves from the people that were around them, when they purged the idols out of their homes, they flourished. Physically and spiritually. Now, I do not believe in this gospel of, of abundance where, you know, if I give my life to the Lord, he's going to give me riches and fame, you know, hogwash. Why would I want it? If I give my life to the Lord, he will give me peace. He will give me safety in the darkest of nights. I will be able to stand when the heavens melt with a fervent heat and I will be able, like John the divine, to say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I won't worry if the financial markets crumble because I don't have much there anyways. Because my treasures aren't in things of this earth, they're in things of the kingdom. 
So then when I'm at a week like this, I'm not going to check the stock market, which I don't because I don't have hardly anything there anyways. I don't need to worry about what move the Soviets, sorry, the Russians, they aren't Soviets anymore, are doing. Oh, I probably should pray for my brethren in the Ukraine. I don't really need to worry what happened in Gaza because the faster the things fall in place, the faster my king comes. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So what should I be busy with? Worrying about the 82% of you, my, my friends outside of Christ between the ages of 13 and 19 who are not ready. Don't you understand that if he comes tonight, you're lost. Don't you understand that it's 740. It's 741. Lightning could go from the east to the west. And the brethren will be called up to meet him in glory. What an amazing day that's going to be. We used to sing that at Webster Springs and Massanetta Springs. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. I'm ready. I got my bags all packed, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave this world of sorrow and woe. And people say, what sorrow? Well, you know, and that's true. I, I do not have it hard at all. I am blessed far above what I deserve. With my little grandsons and my little granddaughters now. I want to make sure that I pray for them. Because perhaps the Lord will take me before he returns. I want those prayers stored up in that vial that's spoken of in Revelations. The prayers of the saints. And I want to be busy praying for you folks. And I want to pray for my neighbors and my coworkers back at work. I want to make sure that they're ready. I put four things down. Action items. The first one, all of us, friend outside of Christ, brother and sister, purge ourselves from worldliness. Don't encumber yourself with nonsense. You know, worldliness does not have to be necessarily evil to be bad. But am I building encumbrances around me that, that I worry about? You know, what I'm realizing is the least you have, the easier it is. You don't need to worry about. Purge ourselves from anything of this earth. Number two, sober up. Wake up, David. Don't allow yourself to be beaten down by the things that are going on around you. God knows what's happening. Yeah, it sure looks to me like our country, the United States, is falling apart. Judge Bork said many, many years ago, we're slouching toward Gomorrah. He's sure right. Okay, we're slouching toward Gomorrah. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. And I worry about my grandsons. I worry about my children. Thank God they're all in the Lord of my, my children and my, my married, my children-in-law. I don't know what you call them. My in-law kids. So thankful they're, they're sound Christians. 
True, tried and true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ been reborn. They love our church. They've embraced it in its totality. That I'm so rich. And I wor- should I worry about their future? No. I got to give that to the Lord. You know, sometimes I worry about Silas and Ethan. I say, what kind of a world are they going to have? And the Lord has to say to me, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. Think about that. As it gets darker, their lights shine brighter. Maybe there's, no, not maybe. There's a purpose why they're here. I don't know why, but God does. I don't know why Silas made it through that miracle that we all witnessed a couple years ago. God does. Should I not think he'll take care of him? Of course he will. So I say those prayers. I get them stored up. Number four. Number three, make room for God. All of us, make room for God. My young believer, your life's ahead of you. Perhaps you're praying for a help meet for you. That's great. It's a great place to do that at Eastern Camp. Eastern Camp 1980. I prayed for a help meet for me in Across 81 in Massanetta Springs on Friday, last day before we went home. God revealed my lovely bride to me. It's a good place to pray for those things. But you got to pray about it. Do it on your knees, not with your cameras. It's much better to do it on your knees because God doesn't make mistakes, but we might. And God blessed me with both, the sound, faithful wife that also looks beautiful in the pictures. Make room for God. Make room for God first and then ask him to build the other pieces of your puzzle around. My young parents with little children, make room for God. Spend time with your little ones reading the word to them, the Bible story books. Pray with your children. I didn't pray enough with my kids. I wish I had. I need to make up for that with my grandkids. In our jobs, in our schools, in our businesses, make room for God. Invite him into every aspect of our life. And then we will find the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Cast your eyes upon Jesus. Make room for God. And the fourth one, today matters. Today matters. Yesterday's gone. You can't change yesterday. There's nothing we can do about yesterday. And you know what? There's not a whole lot we can do about tomorrow. It may not come. Tomorrow morning, we may wake up in glory. Some of us. I wish I could say all of us. Perhaps all of us would wake up in glory, and wouldn't that be a miraculous thing? But I'm afraid some of you won't. Today matters. Hebrews 3.15 says, while this said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Oh, my friend, I know the Lord has convicted you tonight. I know he's tugged on your heartstrings. Some of you, I can see the way you can't look at me. 
Perhaps you start at the beginning, but you can't look at me now. I can see that. And I'm okay with that. I'm not that great to look at. But that's not why you can't look at me. You can't look at me because you know what I said is true. You're not happy. You're miserable. And you know the only place to find happiness is at the foot of the cross. Don't let today pass. You want to have the most amazing week at camp that you have ever had in your entire life? Decide today that you've had enough of your old life. Decide today that you're going to heed the invitation that's offered. Decide today to turn your back on a life of sin. The devil's going to tell you you can't, and he's right. But what he's not going to tell you is God can in your life if you let him. He's knocking. He's knocking on your heart. Right now, the knock is sounding. Heed the invitation. And the rest of your week will be amazing.